What's up, party people? Welcome to this week's episode of Romancing Nancy Drew. I'm your host, Andy Nickerson, which stands for Nancy Drew Nickerson. You can find me at Andy Nickerson on Twitter, or you can find me at Romancing Nancy on Twitter if you are so inclined. This week's episode, which is going to drive me fucking bonkers, is based on the first Nancy Drew Hardy Boy Super Mystery, which is called Double Crossing. It's murdering me. My soul has left my body. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. So, a little bit of background information before we jump into the just ridiculous shit. The absolute ridiculous shit. Um, this one was published at the same time as Till Death Was Part. So it was published in like June of 1988. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the Nancy Drew Files came out in 1986. And apparently, um, about a year later, they looked at the, I guess, success of the Nancy Drew Files, considering that there's 124 of them. I'm assuming that they were successful. Um, and they were like, you know what? We need to get the Hardy Boys in on this action. So about a year after the Nancy Drew Files premiered, the the Hardy Boys case files came in. So actually, the Hardy Boys case files are more of a gritty reboot, which is interesting. Because in 1987, we were not into gritty reboots the way we are now. All, all things are gritty reboot at this point. We are made of it. It is the fabric of our lives. We, we ourselves are within gritty reboot material. So, um... The thing is that, like, in the first book of the fucking series, Joe's girlfriend is killed by a car bomb planted by terrorists, just so that you know that we ain't fucking around here. Um, The other thing about this is that the Hardy Boys were actually first published. Like, we're talking the, the Mystery Stories one. Those were first published, and I think they're called Mystery Stories. I don't fucking know. I've never read any of the original ones, actually never read them um they were like 1927 i believe so they're gonna enter public domain in like five years y'all oh no (laughs) i'm thinking terrible things now um so yeah after the success of the hardy boys they decided that they wanted a like female counterpart but they fucked with a lot of shit um the hardy boys themselves have both a mother and a father and a an aunt who is like the hannah of their group um Frank's main squeeze is Callie Shaw. I think this is true in the old books as well. Joe's main squeeze is Iola Morton, who is the sister of Chet Morton, who is one of their friends who Chet is like the best of the group, but we don't care. They don't appear in this. It doesn't matter. So yeah. Um, so this would be about a year into the Hardy Boys case files, actually. So after like 12-ish of them have been published, they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going we're gonna to throw Nancy Drew in with it and see what happens. Um, Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, initially, I think the first meeting was in the mid-70s. I think Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys meet Dracula. I think it's actually a phrase, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew meet Dracula. I want you to just imagine it, and it's worse. Um, Nancy gets to play the damsel in distress, and Frank comes in to rescue her from fucking Dracula, as one does. Um, oh my god. I fucking hate you, Frank Hardy. I need to pause here. If you are a Frank Hardy stan, if you are a Hardy boy stan from way the fuck back, please understand that I'm I'm cool with Joe, because I, I give zero fucks, but I absolutely have developed a searing thousand sons worth hatred of Frank Hardy. So if you're like, but I love them, turn this off, go do something else, go do something else with your life that does not involve listening to this. Cause it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you real, real bad. Marissa, this one's for you, huh? <laughs> 
just okay so anyway what the fuck are we even talking about oh my god i hate him so much um yeah frank is 18 joe is 16 i think that actually they were about those ages in the original i don't know frank has a passing resemblance to ned i hate everything about that you need to know that i hate it i hate it so much this this actually plays a role later um for me anyway in the damn book where frank's like nancy you must pose as my wife for weird reasons and nancy's like this seems legit and i'm like what the fuck are y'all smoking everything's wrong this does not happen in this book please understand that this does not happen in that book if i had to recap that book for you please understand that i've already done so in notes because i rewrote that fucker and there's a lot of me just all capsing it because i'm real real mad double crossing is the cover is horrible it also depicts a scene that does not actually happen in the fucking book. So Nancy is standing wearing, she looks like she's trying to tart it up, but is not sure how to do so because she's wearing a full fucking face with some earrings and she's pointing at something and Frank's on his hands and knees. And I was like, that's exactly where you belong, bitch. And Frank is stand, uh, Joe's standing nearby. Joe is blonde and blue eyed. I believe Frank has dark hair and I don't know or care what color his eyes are because fuck you. Um, yeah. Just know that he looks similar to Ned, but not as hot. That's my my headcanon on that. Um, so yeah, they're on some sort of beach, and they're gazing off at something and pointing, and it's like, what is it that they're, we don't know or care, and it, it's not, that doesn't actually happen in the book. It doesn't fucking happen in the book. There's a, a boat in the background. Um, I need you to know that the name of that boat is the SS Duchess, which for our Archer callbacks from last week, that's Archer's code name codename duchess known from berlin to bangkok you know it so please understand that there is no archer in this one there is zero archer in this one this is sub archer this is so so bad okay so to back up um this book the premise of this book is fairly simple so the duchess takes off from miami goes down to mexico to the i will i'm not going to try to pronounce the name of the place where it goes to it actually goes to a, a popular spot that i've heard of where there's some mayan ruins nearby and then it goes back to miami and it's like a five-day cruise and i was like sure sure absolutely Nancy is on board like the book actually opens with nancy going on the board of the cruise ship um because George is the assistant social director. Record scratch. For long-time listeners of the podcast slash people who have read any Nancy Drew book whatsoever, um, you understand that this doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. George is not the person that you would have as your assistant cruise director. Like, uh, arranging social activities and being social with people. George hates other human beings and wishes that they would all die and let her go exercise in peace. Now, does she lead some aerobics workouts? You're not wrong, but that there's a lot more to it. Clearly, the best choice for this would have been Bess. And having read the entire book, I actually can't imagine... Actually, yeah, I don't think there's anything about this that I would say Bess couldn't have done that. Could Bess have led an aerobics class? I think that Bess would have been like, let's do some light yoga and let's just sweat to some oldies. IDK. So... Anyway, Nancy's come on board. She's going to be bunking with George. I, I was like, is this kind of meant for girls who are like 
My family does not have as much money as Nancy Drew clearly does. So it makes sense that she would be bunking with her friends. Like, that's a good way to save money, which it almost always is for plot reasons. It's like, oh, her best friend has a key to the room so she can get in and find her unconscious body. So there's that. Um, Nancy comes on board and she's so excited to see George because George has been doing this fucking job for two months. I want to talk about that, too. So... In the books, as you know, in the Nancy Drew files, like anytime they take on any sort of job, it's as a cover. They don't ever have like long-term career prospects. Like I think that George is really deeply interested in the Olympics, but that's not like as a career. Not really. Like if she could get a job like endorsing sports products, I think she would be on that like white on rice. But no, like that that's just not the thing. They have a lot of marketable skills apparently, but nothing that's actually gonna lead them to take a job. They're they are more the rich wives. The wives of rich husbands. That's that is their milieu. So it's kind of interesting that for the purposes of this book, which the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys Super Mysteries, as I was so very giddy with excitement to tell you when we were recapping book four. Nancy refers to them within the Nancy Drew Files as fictional characters. So within universe, they ain't real. So the fact that she's now visiting them and is like, oh, our parents are old friends. Like, which I actually, right at this moment, I think that that's true. But I also, like, I'm not sure that I didn't make it up. Anyway, <laughs> this happens a lot, doesn't it? Um. Anyway, so. Uh, anyway, so. Yeah, it's almost unheard of for any of them to be doing anything like this for this length of time. It's always going to be like Nancy's contact on a case who is going to be doing this. And that's another thing. I can't imagine George doing this. I can actually imagine Bess doing the whole two whole fucking months less. Although I do like the idea of her just flirting shamelessly with co-eds because she would, she would definitely do that. She'd be like, I've been banging a different person each cruise. Maybe two or three people. IDK. You know, just spreading it around. It's fine. Um, it would have made a lot more sense for Nancy to be, like, meeting up with somebody that she knew from high school or whatever the fuck, but beggars can't be choosers. So, she gets on board and immediately sees Frank Hardy. She's like, oh my god, Frank, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm sorry, miss, do I know you? And I was like, perfect. 10 out of 10 no notes. Yes, fuck you, Frank Hardy. He has a large camera around his neck. And he is taking pictures of the passengers as they come onto the cruise. And he's like, hello, I'm here to take pictures of you and also to be just kind of a dick. And Nancy's like, okay, well, I'm besties with the assistant social director who is in like room 47. I don't know why I'm mentioning that to you, but just in case that is important information for you. And he's like, mm-hmm. Oh, I know her. She is really cool. Bye. I'll see you later. And I'm like, fuck you. Okay, so um, Nancy goes back to her room. Oh, I'm sorry. While they're there waiting for the elevator or some shit, um, this group of five teenagers who Nancy depicts as younger than her, like they, this like high schoolers is kind of the way they talk about them. This group of five high schoolers walks over to the um, elevator and they're waiting for it. And it's two guys, three guys and two girls. Um, the guys are David, Connor, and Demetrios, and the girls are Gail and Marcy, and I'm going to mix all of them up, mostly. You need to know that. I don't care what their names are. So, they're like being dicks, and Nancy's like, wow, y'all kind of suck at everything, and they're like, what are you? 
we don't care. And Nancy's like, wow, just flat out dicks. How nice for you. Um, I don't like they're talking to each other. They seem to really know each other. They seem to be a really good close group of friends. One guy actually apologizes for them. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. We're just kind of dicks. And Nancy's like, you are though. That's, that's fine. I get it. That's cool. She goes to her room. She puts a note from Nancy, puts a note from Ned on the tabletop or whatever the fuck in their tiny, tiny stateroom. That's like, I miss you. You are my favorite detective ever. And I cannot wait to see you again. And you're like, yes. And Nancy's like, yes, Ned, the best boyfriend any girl could have or could even imagine having. And you're like, correct. Absolutely correct. And then she's like, every time I see Frank, I feel something we have an intense connection. And I'm like, no, you don't. That's, that's called acid reflux. That's what's happening to you. You are allergic to him. And that is your body rejecting it. Even the air around him is toxic for you. So another thing that I want to talk about, and we've kind of talked about this with the files, but, um, most of the time it's third person point of view that's restricted to what Nancy's thinking. And it occasionally will go to other groups of people, but we're talking like 99.5% of the time is sticking with Nancy. Almost all of this book emotionally is told from Nancy's perspective. And then we shift to Frank and Joe to their perspectives occasionally as well. So whenever we talk about feelings that may have being caught between this trio, um, we are almost always looking at it from Nancy's perspective, which, of course, I want to punch the ghostwriter. I mean, let's be real. You chose to write Frank Hardy. You opened that door yourself. Okay. So she's like, but we are not going to act on this attraction between us because we are both with other people. Kelly is a great person, and I love Ned. And you're like, yes, yes to all that. Just shut that the fuck down. You are allergic to him. You would break out in hives if you even touched him. So just know that. Anyway, um, so Nancy puts on a a white sweater with bold red stripes. And I was like, so she looks like a candy cane. It's a sweater. It's a sweater. You're leaving Miami. It's a sweater. And a pair of crisp white shorts. And I was like, again, an interesting call that you're making there. Okay. And she heads down to meet with George, who is running the, whatchamacallit, like the opening night dinner. I'm I'm going to fucking not say correctly whatever the fuck these people are doing. It's just a bunch of eating and also maybe banging strangers is what's happening here. Is it a booze cruise? Is it the free wins is a better question at all times. It is a free wins. Uh, Captain Steubing or Elron, depending depending on what's happening, um, comes up and is like, yes, we've been having problems. Okay. Nancy is on board for an actual vacation to the point that she's like, I'm here for a vacation. I am not here to find mysteries. I'm not going to find any mysteries. And you're like, but bitch, we're at the beginning of a book that it's called a super mystery. You're, you're going to be mysterying. You're going to be super mysterying. So just know that. Um, so Captain Steubing from the love boat slash, um, Elrond, is talking to Frank and Joe, and he is old friends with their father. So Carson, of course, is the most well-respected criminal defense attorney in the Midwest. Like, not even Illinois. You need to know that. He's in the Midwest. If there's corn, then Carson's got your back. He should put up signs. Anyway, so if he is Perry Mason, then... 
Fenton Hardy, who is the Hardy boy's father, is like Paul Drake. Paul Drake was the private detective that Perry Mason always hired to work on his cases, who was like a an expert in the field, just doing fantastic work. Also, some banter with Della at all points. Um, so yeah, that his his actual vocation is private detective. That's what Fenton Hardy does. And that is why both of his sons have taken after him and deeply want to be that. Um, Fenton, let's see, Frank is more studious, more thoughtful, supposedly asterisk, asterisk. Um, but Joe is girl crazy at all points. I was like, is he bi? I'm fine with him being bi. I need to know that. Um, just really, really out there to get into some pants. And also on this, Frank is pretending to be a photographer and Joe is pretending to be a busboy. They were like, we're going to find you jobs which match up with your skill sets, and that's what we got. So, enjoy. Um, So, they're talking to him. The reason that Frank and Joe are on board is because apparently somebody has been stealing from wealthy passengers. And I was like, this is clearly something that the cops slash whatever security is on your fucking boat should be handling. And the thing that I love about this is that that seems... Okay, a few things. First off, you get on board the boat and they're like, you do know that your valuables can be stolen and that we've got a safe. You may have a safe in your room, IDK. So I'm just saying, you've signed a waiver. Is it real bad optics for people to be stealing your shit? Yes. Is it still a thing? Yes. Should we be getting cops to handle this? Also, yes. Anyway, security cameras? No, it's fine. Um, so that's what they're there for. They're there to catch the thief who is stealing like buku money from wealthy people. And I was like, again, a victimless crime, really. Nancy, on the other hand, um, that night there is a scavenger hunt that George announces during the meal. She's like, okay, your napkin determines what team you're going to be on. And if you have a yellow napkin, then you're on a team with Nancy Drew, who is a fantastic detective. And Nancy's like, I can't believe that George broke my cover. And I was like, Nancy, you just said I'm here to have fun and chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of whatever. Um, Like, you just said that you do not want to be investigating mysteries, that you're here to relax. So what the fuck does it matter if anybody's going to be like, oh, so you're a detective. So anyway, but Nancy's annoyed because she hates that. Which, again, like, y'all been friends for a fucking long time. You should know this. Anyway, again, the characterization is off. So somebody's like, oh, I've got a cherry jubilee stain. So I guess I'm on that team. And everybody laughs. And I was like, y'all are drunk as shit. So good job. Nancy goes out on deck because she's looking. There's like a list. And it's like, you must get a playing card from the gambling hell, which is not what they call it. Um, You have to get like a specific card. You have to get a massage. And Nancy's like, how the fuck do you bring that back for your st- scavenger hunt how do you be like yeah i got a massage just to hold your hand up and be like from carlos like who or who are you gonna anyway um but one of them is to get a tie from a lifeboat and i was like that feels dangerous i'm just gonna say that feels like a thing that you should not be doing like i'm sure that any shit that is tied onto a lifeboat is meant to be there so but nancy volunteers to go get it so she goes out on deck and she like she hears two people on the deck above her meeting um, and one of them is like, I see that you are carrying a plumber's bag. P-L-U-M-M-E-R-S, like Christopher Plummer. And the other person goes, yes, I am carrying a plumber's bag. 
And they're like, okay. Um, so he's like, are you pipeline? And Nancy's like, what the fuck is happening? Tell me everything. Um, she's under the stairs, so she can't really see them. She sees that the person, one of the people appears to be wearing a crew member's outfit or part of a crew member's outfit. Like they seem to be wearing, but again, it's like a fucking polo shirt or whatever the shit. So she's like, I mean, they look like they are, but who knows? So the person's like, do you have the thing that you promised? And the voice, which sounds like a juvenile female, is like, yes, I've got the thing that I promised you. Here's the sample disc. And if you like what you see, then I'll meet you at six o'clock tomorrow on the princess deck. And Nancy's like, what the shit? And like the person implies that they're going to be stealing state secrets. Like this is CIA information. And Nancy's like, what the shit? At that point, Nancy is sexually assaulted. Not by Frank. I know I know where your head went. I know where your head went. And it went to the right place. But um, this guy grabs her and just plants one on her. Just kisses her real, real hard. And Nancy's like, ah, and pushes him away. And is like, Psh. and is trying to see who the couple is. She wants to see who's up there talking about selling state secrets, just casually. So she runs up there. Of course, they're gone by that point. She doesn't spot anybody. When she comes back down, the person who grabbed her and kissed her is like, oh, I'm I'm sorry that I did that. And I was like, really, fuckface? Really? Really? You just grabbed her and assaulted her. So there's that. And Nancy's like, um, yeah, that, that wasn't cool. And the guy's like, well, it was in the scavenger hunt list that I had to get a kiss from a beautiful stranger in the moonlight. And you seem to fit the bill. And I was like, Bitch, I want to see that list, and also I want to talk to the person who put it together and tell them about consent issues and also assault. Those are things that need to be discussed with y'all in 1988. So, Nancy's like, oh, forget it, it's fine. And I was like, no, you need to beat his ass. You need to beat his ass until he's like, guess who is never going to grab an unsuspecting stranger and plant one on them again? But uh, she goes with him back to the main ballroom or whatever the fuck, and she introduces him to George, and his name is David, and he is in the group that Nancy saw earlier of the three girls, no, I'm sorry, two girls, three guys, the batshit high schoolers, which I guess, based on everything, they are supposed to be Nancy's age, but they treat them as though they're younger, so anyway, so I guess they're 18-ish, IDK, they don't have parents along. So, he seems smitten with George. They are hanging out and dancing together and staring deeply into each other's eyes. And Nancy's like, that's cool. So, then she um, sees Frank and Joe and they're like, yes, we're trying to find a thief. And Nancy's like, I just heard somebody trying to sell fucking CIA secrets. And I was like, the thing that I love about this is that if somebody been like, we're trying to find a thief on board a cruise ship. And the thing is that Frank and Joe are like, this seems like it'll be easy. It's a cruise ship whoever's doing it's on board like it's it's only a matter of time but again this is a cruise ship and so it's got like a bunch of people on board like hundreds so it's it ain't that simple but anyway so she tells them what um she's found out the next morning they get up at 5 fucking 45 in the morning go up on the princess deck george is wearing the clothes for her aerobics class so she is wearing a turquoise skin tight leotard and orange tights soak it in 80s soak it in and joe's like george you are dressed way too subtle we needed something over the top and george is like fuck you honey so anyway they have good banter it's fine um they're watching they they're trying to spot the handoff but they can't find 
like nobody's appropriate. Somebody seems to be waiting, but then somebody else walks over and just gives them a kiss as though they know each other. And they spot this other guy who is a, I think that he's the Baron who was like, oh, so Frank, the photographer, how do you take pictures of blah, blah? And so Frank is like, I've got to take pictures of whales right now. Then Demetrius, who is one of the unhinged teenagers, he's a disaster teen from Big Sky. Um, He comes out and is like, why are you staring at me to Joe? And Joe's like, I wasn't staring at you. I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, the tension, the subtext, one can cut it with a knife. So he goes over and he's talking to Joe, which at that point, the boat tips and they're fighting. And he, he like, anyway, Joe ends up falling over the fucking side of the boat is what happens as one does. So Joe, Joe falls over the side of the boat. Due to their cover identities, Joe and Frank are pretending that they are not related and don't know each other. They're just fellow staff members on board the fucking boat. So Frank sees this and immediately is like, oh my God, my, my younger brother, who I love deeply, has fallen over the side of the boat. So he goes and grabs one of those life rings and throws that over the side. And of course, it's a fu- Okay, I had not thought of this. It's a cruise ship. So they are departing at such and such knots. And Joe is over the side of the boat. So of course, they need to send somebody back to get him, like the, the little power boats or whatever the fuck. A jet ski? I don't know. Maybe a snow cat. Um, so they get Joe back and Frank's like, oh my God, I hope he survived the fall. I hope he's okay. I hope he didn't break anything. And I was like, oh yeah, if one falls a great distance into water, it is entirely possible. He was like, what if he collapsed a lung? And I was like, sure, sure, true. Um, but no, he, he's just a, a little bit bruised up, etc. but it's fine. I forgot to tell you. So the night of the party, um, Nancy brings... David back, David and George are dancing, when all of a sudden this older lady like staggers into the ballroom and is like, help, I've been attacked, and then she faints. Everybody stares at her because they are drunk as shit at this point, and maybe doing some meth, just some light meth, which your body needs anyway. Um, And they're just staring, and so Nancy and Frank and Joe go over there, and they're like, are you okay, ma'am, are you okay? And she's like, oh my god, somebody came to my stateroom, and they were wearing a vampire mask, and they... I don't, they, he attacked me and they were like, oh my God, let's go to your room. So the woman whose name I can't remember, um, is rooming with somebody who's older than her, like seventies, who is like, doesn't have her hearing aids in. And so they walk in and she's like, put your hearing aids in Bertha. So Bertha puts in her hearing aids. That's not her name. It's like faith or something. Um, they're like, are you okay? Did, did the person steal anything? Do you remember what happened? And she's like, oh, I was, um, I was reading in bed. I turned the lights out. I didn't really see anything. Um, the woman who was attacked is like, they were wearing a vampire mask and a crew member shirt. And no, they didn't steal anything. They, it was like they maybe were looking for something, but I interrupted them and so they left. And so they were like, okay, so we have somebody who did this who is apparently a crew member and wearing a vampire mask, and apparently a guy. So, they go to Captain Stooping slash Elrond and are like, hey, do you have a list of everybody who was on break between X and Y? Which I was like, that is absolute bullshit. What if somebody was like, oh, I need to go smoke a cigarette, or oh, I have uncontrollable diarrhea. So anyway, but they get a list, and they go question everybody who is on the list. The first person that Joe decides to question is, I think his name's Enrique. It probably isn't, but it's close to that. So Joe goes down to the kitchen that's like in the depths of the ship. I was like, we are on the free winds. 
So he goes down there and he finds Enrique, who is listening to the radio and making himself a sandwich. Joe reaches the fuck over and picks up half of dude's sandwich and takes a bite out of it. And I was like, bitch, did he invite you to have a bite of his fucking sandwich? Did he do this? Because I do not think so. Also, are you two dating? So he's like, oh, the captain needs to see you. So Joe leads Enrique back to Faith's room, whatever, the the people who were just attacked by the vampire. Yeah, I know. The, the vampire's going to be a theme here. Oh my god, I forgot to say this. Um, In the mid-70s, late 70s, the Nasty Dear Hardy Boys was actually a TV show, which when I was about a 12-year-old girl and, and saw the VHS tapes in my local branch library, I was like, oh my god, they have Nancy Drew? They, no, no. Horrible, no. Sean Cassidy and Parker Stevenson and Pamela Sue Martin just hamming it up, y'all. Oh my god. Anyway, so, yeah. Anyway, so Joe leads Enrique to the cabin where the two elderly ladies are waiting. And they're like, the one who was attacked, just like, as soon as he walks in, points at him like he's a pod person. is like, oh my God, it's you. You. And everyone's like, oh, is this a positive identification of the person who was wearing the vampire mask? Because I have questions. Anyway, she's like, oh my God, you're the one who was fired from the Miami Tennis Club. And he's like, what the fuck, bitch? And she's like... It was you, the the stealing. And so, of course, Frank and Joe's ears perk up. So what she said, he's like, hey, I worked there, but I never stole anything. It was a false accusation. And I left soon after because, like, it was toxic. Like, ugh. And so the woman goes, to her credit, is like, oh, my gosh, yes, that's that was the rest of it. And I was like, of course, you had to end the chapter on a fucking cliffhanger. So you had to be like, it was him. And then it's like, for an unrelated thing. So she says, the thefts continued after you left slash were fired, and therefore we knew that it wasn't you. So we're really sorry that we were dicks to you. This is my favorite thing in this entire book. Enrique looks back at her and says, that's the first time anybody has ever said those words to me in English. Also, fuck off. Like, he doesn't say that last part, but it's clear because of his glaring at everybody that he's like, and also fuck off. So he leaves and that's it. And he also, he had, I think he was taking a smoke break or something, but anyway, he didn't have time to have committed the robbery. So, so that's fun. A lot of the staff members are apparently from Latin America. So, and I was like, "Mm," because capitalism and colonialism enmeshed like fingers intertwined, like good job. Good job all around. Okay. So when we last left our dingbats, um, Joe had just been tossed unceremoniously off the side of the boat. Um, the book is like, Oh, it was an accident. Mm, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, I would definitely call that attempted murder. Just going to say he could have died. He legit could have died. He legit, this fictional character could have died. So just saying, but Joe just laughs it off and he's like, I'm sure it's fine. And as soon as Demetrius sees that Joe's fine, he just takes off and you're like, mm, acceptable. So, um, they're still trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Uh, George sees that the vampire mask is apparently one of the costumes that they keep on this boat. This boat is full of like theme shit. So they have like a costume party one night and they have a sock hop and they have all sorts of shit happening. Like it's just bonkers. Um, but they're gonna go to Mexico and then like turn around immediately and come back. Like they don't make stops at any other ports, so there's that. Um, but 
they spot the three guys and the girl. So David, remember who has a thing for George and that thing is his dick. Um, <laughs> I can't remember. I, I think that this is the book where George comes up with yet another explanation for why his, her name is George. And I think that's interesting. And also I was like, maybe George is George's birth name. This opens up a different can of worms. Um, but anyway, so what they find, Nancy is almost certain that, first off, um, David mentioned that his group is all children of diplomats. And Nancy's like, my father told me that when somebody says that they're the child of a diplomat, that can mean that they're CIA. So she's like, are they CIA? And the fact that the person was saying like, oh, here are some CIA secrets. She was like, they're CIA. At least some of them are. So what she finds out is that one of the group is, is missing. Um, one of the girls who was a complete bitch is like, I'm, I'm looking for my friend. Who, and I'm pretty sure that Gail is the one who is the bitch. And I think that Marcy's the one who vanishes, but it doesn't fucking matter. So we'll pretend it doesn't matter. So Gail is like, oh my God, I can't find her. I've looked everywhere. And Nancy's like, okay, well, we will just, we will search everywhere. We'll search everywhere for her. I'm sure we'll find her. They don't. Spoiler alert. The main cook seems to be super sketchy. Um, the Baron says that his wife is sick, and so he doesn't want to let them into his cabin. Like, there's a bunch of people who are like, you can't come in. And they're like, okay. And I was like, so what you're telling me is that this was not a thorough search. This is what you're saying. Okay, cool, cool. Good to know, good to know. Um, yeah. So the other thing, the other weird thing that happens is that Joe is down like in the bowels of the ship in some sort of staff area, and he spots a note on a board that says, um, I still have the tapes. If you are still interested, please, um, leave a note in room like 47 or something. And Nancy's like, oh, who's in room 47? And they're like, no one, it's an empty room. And she's like, perfect. Okay. So, um, I can't remember exactly how all this plays out, but anyway, um, they go to that room and they do find a note that says, yes, I'm still interested. Meet me at noon at the ruins alone. And so they're like, oh, okay. So Joe's like, so we need to take the note. And they're like, no, no, we, we follow whoever goes to the ruins and we catch both the person who is trying to get the secrets and the person who is selling them. And Joe's like, oh, okay, because Joe is the dumbass of the group. Such a dumbass. Anyway, I mean, again, I, I got nothing against him. He's like a giant Labrador. He's he's cute to look at. He likes the ladies, but big old Labrador retriever. So, I can't remember what the fuck else happens. Um, I think that they're still like, oh, okay, we're still waiting for that. The other dumbass thing that the Hardys have set up is that they've decided to pretend that there is a wealthy um, person on board named Maximilian, and they have put him into an empty stateroom, and they've spread a lot of rumors about him. They've been like, oh, he's been tipping me like with $100 bills, and it's been fantastic, and he's just making it rain money. Um, so they set that up, and they've got some sort of emergency, like, as soon as anybody opens the door, they will get some sort of alert, and Frank has it set up to go to his beeper, and I was like, can we be more 1988? No, no, we might need a crimper, like, I'm just gonna say it, anyway, um, so they've decided that the, the perfect time for the thief to catch, to try to catch Maximilian would be, I think it's Maximilian, 
That would be weird based on the last book. But anyway, I don't I don't think the same ghostwriter was involved, so it would be an interesting coincidence. Um anyway, so they're like, okay, when everybody is visiting the ruins, because like ninety percent of the passengers are gonna be on shore, then it would be the perfect time for whatever thieving crew member to hit this room. So it's gonna be perfect. So Frank decides he's gonna stay on the boat. Nancy and Joe decide that they are going to follow whoever or the nancy decides she's gonna go to the ruins actually and i think joe decides that he's gonna follow demetrius in the meantime marcy is trying oh marcy no gail yes gail the girl is trying real hard to get in joe's pants and joe's like my pants are tearaway stripper pants so you're gonna have zero problem getting into these pants i just need you to know that um Joe also doesn't have, I think that Joe's with Vanessa for almost all the case files, but Joe also is trying to bang everything else he sees, so I'm just saying. So they're like, Joe's like, you look so sad, and Gail's like, I am sad, my friend is missing, and Joe's like, maybe we could make out, maybe that would make you feel better, so anyway, it's so dumb. The other thing that happens that night is actually, um, Nancy, Frank is like, we need to relax, why don't we go visit the pool, and Nancy's like, I think the pool is closed, and Frank's like, yeah. And Nancy's like, hell yeah. So Nancy goes back to her room and puts on a tank style swimsuit. I was like, not a bikini because we can't show too much skin. And she's like, should I, because she tells George what she's, she's like, yeah, me and Frank are going to go swim in the pool. And George is like, risky, but scandalizing. And Nancy's like, no, it's not like that. It's fine. And I'm like, you're fooling no one. You're fooling no one, my love. Um, But anyway, so Nancy goes to the pool first. Um, the lights are off, so she can't really see what's going on. And then she sees Frank floating face down nearby, like doing a dead man's float. And she's like, Frank. Ugh. And Frank says from the side of the pool, yes, Nancy, I'm over here. And Nancy's like, <gasps> because Nancy is in the pool with a corpse. I was like, I've got questions, given what happens to corpses. Anyway, so she manages, I think that Frank actually gets in the water and helps pull the corpse over. His name is Julio, and he was a, I don't remember, um, some part of something on the ship. I don't care. I don't care. It's fine. Um, so yeah, he's dead. He was floating face down in the water, and the doctor, the ship doctor or whatever, was like, oh, it was a tragic accident. And they were like, no, the, no, no. This was not a tragic accident. There's no way this was a tragic accident. So they go to his room. Okay, this is my favorite. They're searching his drawers. When they find a laptop computer, the word laptop is written with a hyphen in it. I was like, oh, my God. So I looked it up, and apparently laptop, okay. Which, honestly, at this point, it would be more accurate to describe them as portable computers than laptop because they're far bulkier and chunkier. Um, the first laptop was introduced around 1988, so this is possible. But this is the hilarious thing. They're like, why would he have a laptop computer and where are his computer disks? And I was like, they're like, surely he would have computer disks. Where are they? And I was like... The first laptop that I ever had, um, you didn't necessarily need discs. I'm just saying, like, if we're talking like an Apple IIe, like, yeah, you're going to need something to run some software, but oh my God. Anyway, they're like, the discs are missing. And also there were notebooks full of code and they're like, yes, notebooks full of code. This is all, yes. 
they don't fucking break the code. They don't break the fucking code. They're just like, oh, yes, some notations that seem important. Bye. And yeah, they don't give a fuck. Zero fucks are given. So they're like, okay, Julio's dead. Marcy is missing. Who has the computer disks now? And who are they trying to sell to? Because it appears that the original people are out. So that's fun. Um, when they arrive in Mexico, apparently a body has washed ashore. And the thing about these books is that usually if somebody dies in a Nancy Drew book, like you find the corpse almost immediately. This is not one of those weird, like creepy horror stories where like the corpse popped out. No, it's usually like, oh, there's, uh, she just died of uh, poisoning or whatever the fuck. So usually I know that if they haven't found somebody by now that the person is still alive and being held captive. But anyway, but a body has washed ashore and they're like, oh no, what if it's our friend? So Joe is hanging out with Gail. Again, I'm going to mix up their fucking names. But anyway, um, Gail's like, oh, Nancy, I need you. I need to show you something. And Nancy's like, oh, okay. So she follows Gail down into like some sort of staff area of the boat where Gail just fucking locks her in a ring like a broom closet or some shit. And, and it just walks away. And so Nancy's like, nobody's going to fucking find me. This is bullshit. And of course she has no cell phone. So she's just sitting there trying to figure out how she's going to get out of this room. She like tries to karate chop the door and it's solid steel or whatever the fuck. So that doesn't work. And then the door opens and it's Joe. And Nancy's like, what? How did you find me? And Joe was like, I saw Marcy Gale lead you away and decided to follow her in case some sketch shit was going down. And I was like, good call. You're making out, buddy. Ain't doing good shit. So Nancy's like, yeah, I don't trust that bitch. I'm just saying. She locked me in the room so that I couldn't go see the ruins. Anyway, so Joe decides that he's going to hang out with Gail and Trail Demetrios. And Nancy heads out to the ruins. And while she's out there, first off, she's like, damn, I should have brought some water with me. And I was like, damn, girl, you should have, because what the fuck are you thinking? The second thing is that when she's out there, this little Mexican boy is like, I will, I'll take your picture. I'll, um, you can have a picture with me. Do you need a map and, and whatever? And Nancy's thinking and she's like, she says, if the person has already recovered the disc, there's no reason that they wouldn't just leave the boat now. It, you know, what the, f- why would they wait around? It doesn't make any sense. So she's thinking about things. And then the little boy vanishes for a minute and then he comes back and he's like, the man needs to see you. And Nancy's like, Joe needs to see me? And I was like, Lassie? Timmy fell in the well? Like, oh my god. As Scam Goddess taught me recently, this is how you get kidnapped by your Uber driver, who is not your Uber driver. By just volunteering shit. Like, Nancy should have said, what's his name? What does he look like? But anyway. So she just follows him. She's like, I'm dying of thirst. And also, I guess Joe needs to see me deeper in these sketchy ruins. So... She walks around a corner, somebody grabs her, chloroforms her ass, and drags her to a cave, as one does. It's like if Frankenstein's creation was like, you know what? I've chosen you. Victor ain't cutting it. Let's do this. So, everybody goes back to the boat. Ooh, okay. So, as you know, the dumbass plan was supposed to go down while Nancy was on shore. Um, so Frank's beeper goes off. Yes, again, I'm like, nine one one. Someone's at the thing. It's gonna be a series of numbers. Anyway, so he goes to the cabin and somebody has. 
it's empty. No one's in there. And so somebody has written on the mirror, like, nice try, but I know he's fake. Bye. Or whatever the fuck. And it appears to be in black crayon. And Frank's like, damn it. How did they know? And I'm like, because this was a dumbass plan is how they knew. You don't even have anybody posing as this person. You did not even get one of your dumbass friends to pose as a person. Like, dumbasses. Anyway. So... Uh, in the meantime, um, they're like, oh, where's Nancy? And Nancy is nowhere to be found. Nancy does not make it back to the boat in time for the boat to depart. Um, and so they're like, yeah, first off, um, I think that Nancy actually followed Connor to the ruins and he was carrying the plumber's bag and Nancy was like, he has the discs. So that's half of what we need to know. But then the cops come and pick him up and tell him that they need him to identify the body. So there's that. So that's fun. So Nancy's like, okay, maybe the exchange didn't actually take place. Nancy comes to in a literal bat cave, a cave full of bats who fly over her head. Now she does not get freaked out, which is nice. Instead, she's like, what the fuck? Where am I? And then she's like, bats, bats everywhere. And then she's like, the bats will be leaving. I can just follow the bats to freedom. <laughs> and so she does. Um, she's like stumbling along the, I, I can't, I think that actually like the cops managed to pick her up. Um, they say that they've been busy because, you know, a body washed up and they've been trying to track that shit down. So they did not have as much time for redheaded tourists as they could. Side note, at some point in this book, um, Frank and Nancy are talking about something with, I think, George and Joe and, Frank's like, ladies first. And Nancy's like, I did not take you to, for a chauvinist. And I was like, yes, you should have, though. Um, anyway. So the police are like, yeah, you missed your boat, so that's fun. And also, our boat is not available for reasons. So Nancy is like, okay, cool, cool. And then she goes out to the pier, I think. And she actually sees a little boy who led her astray earlier and is like, Hey, and he just runs off and you're like, accurate. That, that does track. I can't imagine him waiting around and being like, yes, do you have additional money lady? Um, she sees an old dude and she speaks to him in fluent Spanish, which is good. That's on brand. And, um, he's like, yeah, I can take you out to your boat. So he actually, Nancy's like, I hope I don't die. <laughs> she hitches a fucking ride with an old dude who has a canoe. Um, so he takes her out to her boat. She gets on board and she's like, yeah, today's been a bitch. And everybody's like, yeah, it has. Yeah. We thought we were going to catch the thief. Um, a body washed ashore. So that's pretty grim. Um, yeah. So Nancy's like, yeah, I just want to take a shower and lay down. So she goes back to her room, takes a shower, lays down. When, of course, she feels something brush her hand, turns on the light, and there's a fucking scorpion. Uh, and Nancy, of course, as one does, I would have been just screaming, just a lot of screaming and, and more screaming and, and so much more screaming. But instead, she reaches over and picks up the phone. And I was like, OK, so I'm picturing a big ass rotary phone at this point. The big one with the cord coming out of the wall that you can twist around your finger while you're talking to your friend for three hours. So she picks that bitch up and just smashes the shit out of the scorpion. And I was like, normally, I would say that one needs to respect animals. But at this point, it's a fucking scorpion. You need to end that shit. So. Nancy smashes the fucking scorpion and then runs out in the hallway in her nightie. And Frank and Joe are, of course, nearby because they're just waiting for her to run out in her nightie because it was them all along. No, it wasn't. Um, but they're like, oh, my God, what happened? And Nancy's like, yeah, somebody put a fucking scorpion on my bed. So I'm not going to sleep tonight. And I think she actually does, which is impossible. 
So the next day they go by the cabin full of disaster teens and are like, hello, we, we know that you got some shit going on. And the thing is that like David answers the door. David, of course, who is trying his best to bang George. And the three friends are sitting on the couch, including um, Gail. Gail, yes. Dumbass Gail, who was like, I'm trying to find my friend and also make out with Joe. And now she's like, whatever the fuck. And Nancy's like, your your friend, her corpse may have washed ashore. And y'all are like, no, we're fine. So they're just sitting there pretending to watch TV. And they just keep turning the, the sound up on the TV. Like, Nancy's trying to talk to David. She's like, so have you, blah, blah. And they're like, and Nancy's like, okay, y'all are assholes. Till finally, the David's like, okay, maybe turn it down a notch. Um, but anyway, so they're like, yeah, we're, it's okay, we're handling it. Nancy's like, y'all are such dumbasses. So, the other interesting thing that happens is that somebody discovers a massive diamond cufflink that no one has reported missing. Like, I think it was found behind the crates on the princess deck or some shit, but anyway, so... There's that. Um, so Nancy eventually is like, okay. Because George is like, if I lost that, like, you can bet I would be everywhere on this ship asking about it because clearly it's worth a lot of money. And so Nancy's like, okay, who would not do that? And then she's like, the person we're after would not want to report, like, for whatever reason. And then she's like, well, there's an easy way to do this. Frank was taking pictures of all the people who were boarding the boat. Frank has been taking pictures of everybody on the cruise. So all I need to do is go through the pictures and see who's wearing that cufflink. So she goes to, um, she goes to the photography room. Frank is not there because they're trying to get leads on the thief. And so she just yanks all the pictures and takes them with her, including the cufflink, I think actually. Um, Frank and Joe at that point... Frank's, Frank gets roofied, which I love. Um, I mean, I don't, but also I do. So he comes to with Joe, like walking him up and down the hall going like, are you okay yet? And Frank being like, what the fuck? And Joe being like, oh, okay, you're coherent now. And so, yeah, somebody, somebody drugged his drink. And so the most likely candidate is the bartender whose name is Rick. And I was like, are we really trying to make a Casablanca reference? Because as Mystery Science Theater tells us, you don't want to reference a great movie in the middle of your crappy movie. And y'all making a lot of bad calls. Um, so yeah, Rick's like, I don't know. I didn't see anybody with the drink. That's weird. Um, yeah. So the other thing that they find out is that when they're watching, I can't remember exactly why Frank and Joe are watching the crowd from like the, like overhead. They see the, the person who is dealing cards in the gambling place. And they're like, she would know who has a, who's won a bunch of money. She would know. Like, I'm I'm guessing that they actually give them cash. If they cash out their earnings, that they actually give them cash. Their winnings. Um, so they're like, hmm. Hmm. Then they go back and interview the pers- the people who got ripped off. Well, the, somebody else got ripped off. Like, they left. They, they won, like, five grand in the gambling. They went back to their room. Frank and Joe were like, oh, you're, you're like a, a big target. And he's like, no, I'm fine. And of course he gets ripped off by somebody in a vampire mask. And they're like, okay. They go back and question the old lady. And I think that Nancy's actually the one who recognizes this. She's like, that old lady who didn't have her, her earphones in, like her bookmark was barely in that book. So she was not in all, all night reading. So Joe, Joe and Frank walk in there and Frank's like, 
So the casino said that you left your room key, old lady. And <laughs> the old lady's like, oh, I did. And then she texts her person. She's like, no, it's here. And her roommate is like, oh, were you in the casino gambling? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, you know, I don't approve. And she's like, that's why I didn't tell you, bitch. So yeah so they're like did you win some money she's like yeah i won like three thousand dollars and they're like and did the vampire take it and she's like yeah and of course she didn't want to report it because her friend and they were like so somebody who works in the casino and they look around and they're like it, it makes sense that the person who's like the dealer would would know so so that's what they do actually um oh oh my god also nancy goes to the room that that they had set up for their fake rich person nancy goes in there with them and she sees the note that was left on the mirror and she's like um y'all this is an eyeliner pencil and they're like it is and i was like you dumbasses i i have such bottomless contempt for you oh my god who would have a fucking black crown on a fucking cruise ship? We're, they're, they're not toddlers. Like, at one point, they say that, like, the disaster teens and the Nancy Drew and, and her friends are, like, the youngest people on the boat by a long shot. Like, apparently, this is a cruise for senior citizens and, you know, just some rando CIA children. So, so yeah. Um... So, Nancy is, oh, I think that actually, like, Nancy goes to, they're having some sort of big celebration ball because this is last night on the cruise. And I'm like, again, you're, you're treating this like y'all been gone for, like, three weeks, but you've been gone for four days. You're like, get all your banging out of your system because we're about to hit land. So, she goes in, like, a completely silver outfit, which I was like, that's cute. Um, and she's got confetti all over her. And she snags all those pictures, takes them back to her room, is going through them to see what's going on. George comes in, and Nancy's like, well, this is what I'm looking for. So looking through the pictures. They find the picture of the Baron, who is the guy who was asking Frank about his camera. It's him. He was wearing the cufflink. And so they spot him, and he, like, comes up behind him and is like, hello. And they're like, fuck and so nancy does attempt to disarm him like she turns the light out okay okay so the thing that happened is that connor was talking to them and um the person who they think killed julio and is responsible for marcy's disappearance slash murder is some sort of like really super deadly russian like assassin Anyway, so they're like, he's, you know, no one knows who, what he's doing right now and blah, blah. And he's, he's terrible and he's going to kill all of us. And he, he's very patriotic. So he sees our murder as something that his country demands of him. And he is eager and happy to do so. So they're like, seems legit though. So he comes in, the Baron, who is the Russian assassin. And he comes in and he's like, hello. And Nancy's like, fuck. So, during the conversation when they're talking, um, he's he says that he didn't claim the cufflink because he was afraid it was in some sort of compromising place like Marcy's room, which, weirdly enough, um, Connor, who is the one who had the plumber's bag, so they were talking about how clearly the meet had not taken place. Nancy goes by to check on them and finds David conked out on the floor. Somebody hit him on the head and if the discs were there they appear to be missing because again they don't they don't know where they are what they look like so that was the thing like he knew that the disaster teens had them and he needed to go to their room and, and get them back so 
Um, yeah, he thought that he had left the cufflink in Marcy's room, but he had not. Um, instead, he left it on the fucking princess desk or deck or whatever the shit. Um, and at one point during this conversation, the Baron's like, but the Baron slash Russian spy slash assassin is like, and then you and your boyfriend did blah blah to Nancy, and Nancy's like, he's not my boyfriend, and I was like, yes. I love that this dude has a gun on you and you're like, you know what? I need to just, for the record, that fucker ain't my boyfriend. You need to know that. He's a dipshit. Um, anyway. So actually, dude drugged Julio and threw him into the pool knowing he drowned there. So that's badass. Um, he, yeah, he, of course, chloroformed Nancy and was hoping that that would get her out of the way because he was hoping that the ship would just depart without her and it almost did and then he was like and then he came back and i should have put more scorpions in your bed you are a he actually during this conversation is like you made a worthy adversary like you did good i was very impressed by you you're an amateur detective but you're doing good work and nancy's like i need to put that on my resume and also are we going to live through this and he's like you ain't gonna live long enough for a resume but i like your spunk you got some good spunk so he has Nancy and George tie their shoelaces together, which, bold move, and then he leads them into the bowels of the free winds, where he is going to put them to manual labor because they have signed their Sea Org contract, and it's time now. Much like Mike Render, they're going to be swabbing the entire engine room for the rest of their lives. No. He takes them to the anchor room. The room where the anchor is, where the, the chain for the anchor is. And when he opens the door, there's Marcy. She's not dead. Oh my God, plot twist. So that body that washed ashore went, ain't her. When the cops, like, because Nancy was in the car with them, she was like, so the body. And they're like, yeah, we've, we've got an unconfirmed ID, like a, a non, not official ID. And Nancy's like, oh, okay. So yeah, it ain't her. And the Russian spy was like, yeah, that worked out well for me. He had her in his room the whole fucking time. Like, it, whenever they came around and they were doing bed checks, remember? He was like, oh, my wife is sick. It was her. It was her. He had her in his bed. And I was like, oh, my God. There's a lot here. Like, there's a point in the conversation that when the spy is talking to Nancy and George, he was like, two sexy ladies like y'all. Like, I would not have expected y'all to take me down. And Nancy's like, I have no words, dipshit. Um... <laughs> So, this is the staggeringly genius plan of the Russian spy. He has decided that he is going to get Nancy Bess, I'm sorry, I threw Bess in there because she should have been here, Nancy, George, and Marcy to get tied to the anchor chain, and then whenever they drop anchor at their destination, they'll die. He was like, the good news is that you will hit the water with such force that you will be unconscious when you drown. So, that's fun. So... The thing that happened on the way to the engine room is that Nancy picked a lot of the confetti out of her hair. I love that Nancy was like, there is no time for me to pick confetti out of my hair. I've got pictures to look at and I got people to see. So she does all that. She takes a big wad of confetti and stuff out of her hair and all the debris that she got at the party. And she like puts it down in the hallway, which is a staff hallway. Like there's no reason for it to be there. And she's like, Frank will find us. So... Um, he does. Like, it's at the point where Nancy, they're all, like, bitter and desperate and, like, it's horrible. And Marcy's like, I never meant for this to happen. And Nancy was like, people are going to fucking die because you're selling CIA secrets. Side note, when I read this, because 
the the three detectives, the three baby detectives, get real, real affronted by somebody selling the CIA. Like, I always default to knock list from Mission Impossible. But whatever the secrets are, they're like, people are going to die. And I was like, bitch, when the CIA deems to get involved in foreign events, usually they kill people. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to fucking say it. So the fact that you're like, there, this is bad. People are going to die. I'm like... They kill people. They they form a revolution. Like, they do a lot of stuff that, you know, human rights abuses. So, mm, anyway. So, she's like, we never meant for this to happen. She just wanted to, she just wanted to embarrass her dad. And when they talk to the disaster teens, and they're like, okay, so how did you go about this? And they're like, oh, well, we sent a message to the South... South American embassy, some sort, and and told them that we had some things that they might find interesting and blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, this is so, so fucking dumb, so dumb, so fucking dumb. So clearly the Russian spy, like, intercepted and was like, yes, we, we'll take it. We'll take it from here. So anyway, so, so fucking dumb. Um, Frank does get there at the psychological moment. Um. They have not managed to get free. I was like, okay, so the bitch actually told you to tie, told Nancy to tie the the two other girls to the chain, and then I think he tied her to the chain. But Nancy did not, like, put any sort of fail-safe into this. But anyway, so they've been trying to get away. They haven't managed it. Of course, Frank and Joe and, and George burst in, and they're like, oh, my God, there you are. And the captain, who, the captain, oh, oh my God, the captain is like, Hardy's, you did far better than I thought you would. And I was like, they did like rock bottom terrible shit. So I like that you're like, my expectations for you were subterranean and you managed to clear the lowest fucking bar. So there's that. Um, so yeah, the captain comes in with everybody. Um, they managed to, Nancy's last one and she's like a foot off the floor and she's like, oh my God. And Frank's like, pull on the ropes, Nancy. I've almost got you free. And you're like, you fucking dipshit. Maybe stop the chain. I'm just gonna say it. Maybe stop the fucking chain, you dipshits. Maybe reverse it. Anyway, anyway. So Frank, of course, grabs her. She's coming down and, and of course he holds her tightly and I was like, die in a fire. Die in all the fires. Um, they go up on the deck and Nancy's like, it's him, it's the Baron. And so Joe tackles him because Joe is an attack dog. Joe is a he is occasionally a Labrador, but he is also occasionally a Rottweiler. So, just to do that. Um, so, he tackles him, and he's like, oh, I, I don't know what's going on. Okay, okay, here's the thing. His wife, his wife is next to him. She apparently is his actual wife. And she's like, I didn't know any of this. And I was like, I've got 17,000 questions. First off, this was not a cover identity. Second, she's your actual legit wife. Third, she didn't have questions about the teenager that you were keeping in the bed. Fourth, I mean, I, I, we could do this for hours. Hours. Anyway, so they tackle him. The CIA comes on and, and they swarm and, and they grab the Russian spy. And then they call the disaster teens and the detective teens. <laughs> in for the debrief and they're like okay so we've decided disaster teens that you should just never do this again and they're like okay and i was like okay they they had the disaster teens i don't know why they had the clearance they did to get this shit 
Why did they have that clearance? Why? Why did you give the disaster teams this clearance? And then to be like, I mean, did some people die? Yes. Should you have done this? No. Are we going to press charges? Also, no. So, good job all around. Good job. Then they look at the Hardys and Nancy and they're like, oh my God, you, you guys did so great on this case. Like, if you were ever interested in going to the CIA, then you should definitely talk to us. And I was like, bitch, if I were Nancy at this point, I would look at them like dead in the eye and be like, hey, hey, don't, don't even look at those two dipshits. They did nothing. They did nothing to help me. Okay. I did this shit. I did this shit. Also, no, I'm not going to join you, but I did this shit. Like, Frank and Joe did practically nothing about her case. Like, there are some books where they're more involved than others. And there are some books where um, Nancy's case and the Hardy Boys case, like, overlap significantly. But in this case, fuck no. Like, the, the thieves had nothing to do with it. BT dubs. Um, Wendy, who was the blackjack dealer or some shit, and Rick, the bartender slash Casablanca alum, uh, were trading off. So and each of them said that the other one forced them into it. But they were they would just put on the vampire mask, go rip off the old person. Which in there they're like, yeah, it makes sense that they would they would get old people because they're tired and and they would probably sleep sleep soundly and they probably talk to them at the table and find out about their habits or when you know the bartender can talk to them and be like, hey, so you must sleep pretty soundly with this whiskey or whatever the fuck. So. So yeah, and at the end of it, um, the disaster teens are like, oh my god, I can't believe we got through this, and, and maybe we should just make this a yearly thing, like every year we can go out and on a cruise, and maybe it not involve us trying to sell state secrets, and, and you three should come too, and oh, I'm sorry, David is the one, and George was like, David hasn't said he wanted to see me after this, and Nancy also, during this book, is like, David might be involved. And you're like, David is 100% involved. He is a disaster teen, and he is 100% involved. Um, but Nancy's like, you need to be careful because he might be bad. And George is like, you know, I love it that way. But George is like, yeah, I know, I know. But she is sad that David hasn't been like, I think that we should run away together. And also maybe raise sheep in New Zealand. So... Um, after the cruise, when he's like, so do you come to D.C. often? And George is like, no, but I can. And you're like, what the fuck, y'all? What the? Uh, anyway, so yeah, when the girl teen is like, yeah, we should do this next year. We should make it a, a thing, like an anniversary of us being complete dipshits. And Nancy looks at Frank and she's like, what is it that George said? Risky, but also dangerous? Like, yes. She's like, I know that we're with other people, but... Who knows? I'm not going to let anything happen. And I was like, I want to punch you upside the head. And that's how the fucking book ends. And also, no, this never happens again, because I'm sure there was a different ghostwriter at that point. And oh my God, oh my God. Okay, okay. Let's be real here. If I were the person, let's say that I'm deeply into the Hardy Boys and I pick up this book and I'm like, oh my God, okay, so there's a CIA thing and blah, and then I find out that it's Nancy Drew who's handling it. Like, I would feel so deeply cheated. I'd be like, oh my, what do you mean the Hardys aren't handling the cool shit? Like, just a, like, garden variety, run-of-the-mill thief who likes to rip off old rich people. Like, sure. Oh my God. And, and there was, oh, it was so bad. It was just, I got so mad that I was like, I'm going to need to play Diablo 3 just to get past this because, oh my God, I got a lot of rage to get out. I got a lot of rage. 
oh my god and again like anytime there was ever any like oh my god I have I've caught feelings on Nancy's behalf it was on Nancy's behalf like there's there's a moment where like Frank reaches out and touches her hand for a second more than necessary and there's like the whole like giving her a hug as he's pulling her down from the anchor fucking chain but like all the it definitely seems to be one-sided and on her part and George is all like oh my god David you're so cute and mm, like the the fucking ghost started to be like Frank I did not think that you were a chauvinist I wanted to be like and you ain't like oh my god oh my god and then at the end of it to be like oh my god frank and joe you did so good on this case the cia respects what you've done here and i was like what the fuck they did nothing they did fucking nothing also if a random mexican boy is like he wants to see you be like did timmy fall in a well also no also i'm gonna need some bottled water that you have not broken the seal on dipshit so yes also, in a lot of these books, like, it turns into, like, part travelogue. I'm thinking now of the fucking one that's set in Egypt. And in this case, like, no, it's like, there's some ruins and they seem to be Mayan. And also, we ain't going to talk about it. Like, oh, my God. Oh, my There's, uh, everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. Oh, my God. It's just so, so bad. Like, it's so bad. And I get that, like. And also they were talking like, well, they said that the vampire was a man. And you're like, it was a... And then they have to go back and look at the women who were available at the time. And I was like, again, like, what a... Mm, I've, oh, God, it just... oh, it's, it's not quite as bad as watching Big Sky, but oh, my God. Oh, my God, y'all. It hurts. It burns. It burns. So, yeah, the Hardys are dumbasses. Um... Yeah, the CIA, also a dumbass. Also, whenever, again, whenever they took him down to the the anchor room, I was like, the free winds. They're on the free winds. Oh, man. If the caption had been a bit more malevolent, I would have been like, yeah, that's that's 100% L. Ron. Like, you're just leaning in real hard on that. We're going to sign some CR contracts. It's going to be real, real weird. Real, real weird. Just some cold activity. Also, he kept her in his fucking bed. Um, anyway, so there's that. I don't know. I was like, I should do a crime for Christmas for Christmas time, which is the second book in the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys mysteries, super mysteries. And now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I might end up just slamming my head into something. Like, I do want to do Shockwaves because I love that one, but I don't know. I just don't know. Anyway, so next week we're going to pick up with the next mystery story, and I'm not sure which one that's going to be, but I'm excited, as I always am, because, oh my God, yes. So... As always, stay off the fucking free winds. You know that gangplank is waiting for you. And stay sleuthy, my friends. <laughs>